Greetings, my good people. What is happening? What is going on? Hope your Monday's off to a great start, considering that we're into March. But here in the Northeast, winter is going out like a lion. With 17 days to go until spring, it feels like uh, it's just getting started here. But with that being pushed aside, there are plenty of sports to talk about here on the latest edition of the J Reels podcast. I am your host, J Reels. If this is your first time tuning in, getting a chance to listen to what it is that I have to say about the world of sports. I welcome you guys aboard. Thank you very much for downloading and listening to this podcast. And for those who have been with me on this journey from episode 1, 16, 26, 36, and now 56, I welcome you guys back. As I said, a lot to squeeze into on this edition with everything that's going on in the world of the NBA. Lakers and Celtics, of course, are at the forefront of that again. What else is new? No disrespect to Milwaukee, Toronto, Golden State, or Denver, but it seems as if with everything that's going on in Boston and everything that's happening in La La Land with the Lakers being on the outside looking in, it seems like they're all the rage as far as what's happening in the association, so I'll touch on that. The NHL stuff, what a week for the Islanders, but certainly did not end well, and the road ahead looks very tough. I'll get into the John Tavares homecoming, which certainly was brutal. It was great for the Islander fan and great for the team, but it was certainly a kiss of death, as I'll certainly explain. And I'm also going to throw in Sean Avery, the former Ranger, in the mix, because he had some things to say about Islander fans, which I didn't like. So you'll get my take on that. Also, anything that's going on in college basketball is we're entering the final week of regular season play before we get into conference championships next week. All that to shake a stick at, including Nolan Arenado, who got a monster contract last week, but he doesn't even headline the show because to get us started, to get us rolling, to get us off to a tremendous start, we have to talk about what happened down the turnpike Although it didn't happen in Philadelphia, but of course, everything surrounding the baseball world and what happened with the Phillies there late Thursday as Bryce Harper signs on the dotted line to the richest contract in the history of sports at 13 years, $330 million, which eclipses the 2014 deal signed by Giancarlo Stanton of the then Miami Marlins to that 13-year, $325 million contract. And if you listened to the podcast last week, you got my take feelings, etc. But what I want to do here is discuss more or less this marriage between Bryce Harper and not necessarily just the Philadelphia Phillies, but let's just put it the whole city of Philadelphia. This is going to be a marriage that I think, I don't want to say it's going to be doomed from the start because we all know it's in the honeymoon phase. But when you listen to that press conference the other day, when he was on top of the dugout there in Clearwater and he has the Philly uniform on, the hat, glowingly talking about the contract, maybe about a guy in two years that's going to be a free agent that could come east and a one Mike Trout. Of course, he didn't mention any names, and I'm sure a lot of people will probably suspect of tampering. But with the whole puppet circumstance that was taking place down in Clearwater, the one thing that he said that he wants to, quote-unquote, bring a title to D.C., that right there should let the Philly fan know that this is the beginning of what could be a disastrous relationship. I understand it's a faux pas. I understand that he's been part of the D.C. fabric for seven years for pretty much his whole adult life as far as the baseball player is concerned. But let me tell you, there is no way that the Philly fan or any sports fan, because when I heard that, I was appalled. I couldn't believe it. And you want to give him a pass, whether it's nerves, whether whatever it is. But that is one thing you cannot say in your opening press conference, to bring a title back to D.C. and then just a second later, Say, I want to have a parade up Broad Street. Well, unless there's a parade that's going to take place in Philadelphia, but 
maybe there is a Broad Street in D.C. It'll start in Philadelphia and maybe travel all the way down south to the nation's capital where it will probably end up. And right now, the NL East is certainly ablaze. And I'll get into the good part of this contract because you're going to have rivalries abound. And hopefully, because unlike it was in the 80s when you had the Mets and the Cubs, especially in the 84 season, and then you had the Mets and the Cardinals there in 85, 87. You know, you don't have that juice anymore. Even Mets and the Phillies there in 2007 with the whole Jimmy Rollins coming out saying that, yeah, we're the better team. And we know what happened with the Mets in those two years, especially 07, 08, with the 08 season being the city of champions for the Philadelphia Phillies that year. But now with this contract and with this player signed, and I'm glad he's staying in the NL East, but you have to look at it from this perspective. There is no way on God's green earth, I believe, that the heart inside that chest of Bryce Harper wants to be in Philadelphia. For a guy who's played in Washington and knows nothing but D.C., is even stated in this press conference, we all know that this was a money grab and that his pockets are more in Philadelphia than his heart is. And I mentioned this last week. I understand that he's a generational talent. We all know he's been an MVP, rookie of the year, etc. I understand the war numbers are terrible, you know, 1.3 war, but we get that analytics are a part of baseball and a part of all sports when you look at it across the board. But all you need to know about war and all these stupid sabermetrics is that Lou Whitaker had a better war over his career than Derek Jeter. So to me, that goes right out the window. I mean, really? Lou Whitaker? And that's not a knock with Lou Whitaker. We all know on those Tiger teams, especially in 84, up the middle with Alan Trammell, we get it. But please, there's no comparison between Lou Whitaker and Derek Jeter. But that's my point when it comes to all these stupid statistics. But with that being said, when you have a guy like Harper, that's going to be a lightning rod for any type of controversy, for any type of attention and knowing that he's playing in a city that has arguably the most fickle fans on the planet forget about the country and I understand Philly's like the second banana to New York they want to puff out their chest and kind of be like they had that New York attitude and we all know it falls short of what happens here in the Big Big Apple but with that being said to me how I look at this union between the superstar player And the city that, let's face it, was the fallback. And I'm sure he would have preferred to be a Yankee or a Dodger. Maybe not so a San Francisco Giant or even a San Diego Padre for that matter, considering that they signed Manny Machado and to have both of those guys on the same team may have been a little bit too much. But for him to now be able to have his checks cashed in a city of brotherly love, you kind of wonder how much brotherly love this player is going to get from the fans and I even put the over-under over number at May 5th before the boo birds start coming out. We know, well, at least I believe, he's going to get off to a slow start. He's going to try to justify that contract in one month, which we all know that's not going to be the case. It's not going to happen. If he gets off to that fast start, God bless him. Hopefully it's not more so against the Mets, it's against everybody else, but you get the picture. And now that we have this player in the fold in the NL East, I think it's going to be just a fascinating year to watch this division when you look at not only just Mets and Phillies, 
but Phillies and the Nationals, which the first series of the year, you don't even have to wait that long. The second series of the year, Philadelphia at Washington, April 2nd and 3rd, I'm sure is going to be, if the games are on ESPN, must-see TV. You have to watch. Now, we know the fan base down in Washington, let's face it. For all the success that they had in the regular season during the Bryce era, which amounted to zero postseason wins, or postseason series wins, let me rephrase that. We know that the fans down there, let's face it, they're not diehard. Not all of them. Of course, there's going to be some, but that's not a fan base that you're just going to look at and say, wow, yeah, they have they rally around that baseball team. We all know that's a football town. That's a Redskin nation down there. So anybody who follows the Nationals, and listen, they are fans. I'm just not going to discount them all. So I may have come, off, come across a little bit too harsh as far as calling them non-diehards, but we know that that is not a baseball town. We know that the baseball fan in the Northeast resides in New York and Boston, Pick or choose who's first or second. And then you want to say Philadelphia, but Washington certainly is nowhere near on that baseball map. But these are games that you're going to have to watch, you're going to have to follow, and who knows if it's going to heighten any sort of rivalry between those two cities. And we all know New York and Philadelphia. New York and Washington actually had a bit of a rivalry back in 2015 when the Mets and Nationals were going at it, but since then it's been nothing. And I even said back then when I was doing the radio show that I thought the Nats and the Mets were going to be the next best rivalry in the major leagues. Because of the talent, as we've seen over the years with the Nationals and what they had down there, and then the Mets pitching staff and bringing Cespedes on board, we just thought it was going to be a battle for the division here from 2015 to 2019. And as we've seen, 2016, although the Mets didn't make the wild card, but they went out with a whimper, and the last two years have just been disastrous. Well, the Nationals have had a terrible year last year, as we all know, have made the postseason in the years prior, but have done nothing in the DS, and they're one and done. So I hope from that perspective, it certainly brings the rivalries to all those cities on a heightened level. And you can't forget the Braves, because the Braves actually won a division last year. You do have to throw them in the mix. But here, just in this corridor, the Northeast Corridor, New York, Philly, and Washington are certainly going to be in the spotlight when those games are being played this year, especially when it comes to who's going to be at the top of that division come October. But as far as Bryce Harper's concerned, and he even said it based on his agent, Scott Boris, he said, get me to the place that's going to give me the most money. And it just so happened to be Philadelphia. And in private moments, and I would just love to be behind those four walls with Bryce and his Beautiful wife, Kayla, to say, man, I can't believe I'm going to be in Philadelphia. This is a team that I beat up over the years. He has 14 home runs in that ballpark, most by a visiting ball player. And now I'm with Philly, knowing what those fans are, what that city is. And we know he's a passionate guy, and he plays with a lot of fire. And I understand there have been times where he hasn't hustled as much, which is not going to go well with the Philly fans. But to think that he signed with that team you got it. You, we all know, again, how, how many times I could say it was a money grab. But what's going to happen when the fans get on his case? What's going to happen, yeah, year four, year five, year six, year seven? Could this be an A-Rod thing where somehow, some way, it's best for him to be, you know, be traded out of town? Now, of course, he has a no-trade clause. 
and no opt-out for that matter. But that doesn't necessarily mean that because he has a no-trade clause, he could certainly say, you know what, I want out. Get me out of here. Get me to the, the West Coast. Get me to a team that's or to a city that's going to love me more or whatever it may be. Even though he'll hold all the cards in that regard as far as where he wants to dictate his next destination if there is going to be one. But still, they'll be able to accommodate with that money though. Eh, that's going to be the only thing. Is the team going to take that deal 60 cents on a dollar, 75 cents on a dollar, the whole deal? Who knows? And I'm not going to sit here and say that this isn't going to work out, whatever, but boy, this is a certain buyer beware with this player and with that town. Not the organization, because they have nothing to do with it. You know, John Middleton said he was going to spend stupid money, the owner of the team, and he did. He got his guy. It was either going to be him or Machado. But the relationship with the fans and what happens in year four, five, six when they miss the playoffs or they're nowhere near a World Series. What's going to happen then? Fans are going to demand more, even if he puts up four MVP years in a row. It's going to be, as I said, fascinating to see how that relationship's going to be. And I don't know if it's going to be one that's going to work out in the long run. Who knows? Now, like I said, come May 5th, if he's batting 180 with two home runs and the Boo Birds on a cold night in May against the Padres, you know, what is Bryce going to say then? Can't get on the fans case. He does that, boy. He's going to be going upstream without a paddle. That's going to do him no good. And as I said, we get it's about the money. Boris said it was about that. I talked about this last week. You know, the influence of an agent like Boris or just agents, period. It's not about the money. It's about where I want to go. And we get that it's all about getting the most money. We know that these careers are finite, whether you're the superstar player like Harper or you're the 25th man on the roster. But deep down inside, I'm sorry. I'm sure, not to say that Philadelphia would be the last place he'd want to be on earth, but I bet you there was two or three other places that he'd rather be. But again, he wanted the most money. He got it. But what comes with that is the city's history, the fans. They haven't won a World Series now in 11 years. 10 now. We're getting into the 11th year. And now he's 13 years at the start of a 13-year marriage with not just this organization, with this team, with this city, this fan base. Do you think it's going to work out? We'll certainly see as time goes on. And then Nolan Arenado is the other one where he signed uh, 8 for 260. Good for Colorado. That would have been a mess if he would have signed elsewhere because just like the NBA where the players finally get to free agency, they want to go to... Unlike the NBA, you can't have a super team in baseball. But of course, Arenado being a Southern California kid, you know, could have went to the Dodgers, could have gone to one of the key franchises in baseball, whether it be there or up the coast in San Francisco or back east here, whether it be the Yankees as they were there. His name was thrown about as far as being a Yankee possibly for 2019 or 2020, I should say, the following year. So he's in the mix, eight years, 260. A lot of people even posted on Twitter where he got less money, less years, and the guy in San Diego is probably the second best third baseman in the division, which, let's face it, as great as Machado is, Nolan Arenado arguably could be better. The only thing that 
he gets the knock on is he plays in Coors Field. But ever since the guy's been in the league, he's been a gold glove third baseman. He's been an all-star pretty much every year of his career. He's been runner-up to an MVP. He's put up MVP numbers every year. And we understand with the thin air, inflated numbers, etc. But he's a guy that's arguably a top five player in the sport. And he actually has an opt-out after three years. And I believe he's, what, 28, so he'll be 31 when the time comes where he can opt out and go to free agency. I think with the way the climate is, unless he has just three killer years, which he could have, I don't know if he's going to get anything close to that or more if he does decide to say goodbye, I want to test the free agent waters out somewhere else. So very interesting to see with him being entrenched in that lineup, entrenched in that team, because there's some guys that belong in the same team. You know, obviously you didn't see that with Harper and Machado, but you know Arenado and the guy he's not going to get a lot of fanfare, especially back east because he plays in Colorado. A lot of the games he plays out west, but he's just as good, if not better, than those two guys. Just look at the numbers. Forget about metrics. Forget about saber. Well, we don't hear all that, but look at the numbers, and he belongs in the company of those guys. And you still have a few free agents out there, people. Dallas Keuchel, where's he going? Craig Kimbrell, still on hold, waiting to f- figure out what's going to happen with those two guys. There were even rumors about Kimbrell taking the year off, which his agent said, ah, he's playing in 2019. Well, when is that going to happen? Still got Gio Gonzalez, which I know a lot of the Met fans want to get for insurance. But I would think Gonzalez wants to have a bona fide role on some team, on a winning team. We all know the Met rotation is set up to where you have your top five, where Vargas is the fifth guy. They're not going to go to six-man rotation. Seth Lugo is going to come out of the bullpen. A lot of people think that Lugo could be that guy. But you still got some names that are certainly available. And you would think here in the coming weeks, as we're now 10 days into the exhibition schedule, that one of these guys or some of these guys need to get signed. And I know the Mets signed Carlos Gomez to a minor league contract. And all the outrage was, oh, what about Adam Jones? You know, even listening to some of the sports talk radio here in the area where Adam Jones would have been a better fit. A, we don't know that. B, I'm sure Adam Jones wants to play. And this outfield, although the Mets need a right-handed bat in the worst way with Todd Frazier now being on the shelf, but here's the thing. Jones is the type of guy, even at 35 years old, I believe, he's going to want to play every day. And you already have a crowded outfield to begin with when you have Jeff McNeil's going to play left, Nimmo in center, and Conforto in right, and you have Keon Broxton and also... Juan Lagares backing him up. So what are you going to do? You're going to throw in Jones in the mix? Unless somebody's going to get traded or somebody's going to get released. I mean, there's no way that Adam Jones is going to be part of this team. You just don't see it. And would it have been nice to get a right-handed stick of his caliber considering he's long in the tooth and later in his career? Absolutely, but he's probably going to want $9 million. Anywhere between, I would say, 8 to 10, even if it was for one year. And yes, would it have been nice? Wouldn't it have been best for him to be a first option? Absolutely. But the thing is, they have a crowded outfield. And even with Frazier being out, 
with that oblique. Who knows if he's going to be ready for opening day. And the Mets certainly need some right-handed power. That's where you hope Alonzo makes the team. You know, you got Wilson Ramos. Hopefully he stays healthy. But the thing is that, to me, Jones wouldn't have been a fit here. So for the Mets fans saying, hey, here we go. Brody's in the clearance section trying to get these players. And yes, and you know, I'm the first one to come out and say that. But Adam Jones, where is he going to play? Adam Jones is not going to be a guy who's going to come in here and just going to rot on the bench. You would think he's going to be a plug-and-play guy. And even if he's at center field or right field, but you're not taking Conforto out, not going to take Nimmo out. All right, yeah, you could take McNeil out and put Adam Jones in left field. But then what's going to happen? Now McNeil's going to be rotting on the bench. And you could say, oh, but look at, come on, Jay Reels. You know, Adam Jones is a proven major leaguer. So, all right, I get that. But, you know, how much does he have left? You want to go with the younger guy. You want to go with the guy who came in and it was a small sampling, 60 games, but he batted 329. Likes to put a bat on the ball. Great at bats, etc. Over the guy who's had a long career and has had a very good career, but who knows how much he has left in his bat. So I can't kill the Mets on that one. Carlos Gomez, ah, all right, great. I understand. Bargain basement. Go back to the 2015 trade that should have been but wasn't. The whole Wilma Flores, Zach Wheeler, we get it. But to me, I just saw no fit for Adam Jones here. Carlos Gomez, yes, because if he's on a minor league deal, he's willing to take that role, great. Is Adam Jones willing to take that? I don't think so. And then lastly, one last thing before we move on to other things. I know that this could be a story. Who knows how big it's going to be, but in this world that we live in, with the events that took place in San Francisco with the CEO Larry Bear knocking his wife to the ground over a dispute from a cell phone, and even though he's come out to apologize, but you wonder if there's going to be any disciplinary action to him. He's the CEO of the San Francisco Giants. I don't know what's been, I mean, again, this happened on Friday, so I don't know if any action has been taking place since then. I haven't heard anything, but it's just a story to keep in mind. Obviously, this is off the field. It has really nothing to do with sports, but it has a lot to do with life, and you just kind of wonder what will transpire as far as the Giants handing down any discipline towards him. Does he get released? Is he suspended? Who knows? I mean, he's the CEO of the team. You know, it's not like you drop him and just pick up somebody somebody else. I'm sure, if anything, maybe he'll be suspended. Maybe it's an indefinite suspension until they further investigate, and then they'll make a decision. But, you know, when you hear the CEO of a baseball team, and obviously a very successful one in this decade, for that matter, to have an incident like that, and then for video to show up via TMZ Sports, what do you do? You just can't sweep that under the rug in this day and age. So there's something to keep in mind. If anything uh, transpires, anything comes out of that, I just thought it was just newsworthy from that regard because so many times we've seen, whether it's Urban Meyer and that situation, now I understand it wasn't Urban Meyer, it was the assistant coach and everything that happened there. But again, these are things that we just can't turn a blind eye to. So we'll certainly keep our eye on that as well. All right, now as we turn our attention to the NFL and all the talk is about the Combine, which, as I said a few weeks ago, people, I am not getting into who's ran the fastest 40, who has leaped for 38 vertical inches. I could care less. Let's get, just get to the draft, first free agency, get to the draft, and then we'll dissect everything then because all these bench presses and 40 times and things of that nature does not mean squat 
when it comes to the ability of these players. So to fast forward to everything that's happening now with free agency, which is on the horizon, in fact, it is next Wednesday that the NFL season, quote-unquote, will open. And even though you've heard a lot of rumblings about where players are going to go, players are going to sign, things of that nature, there's talk that Nick Foles could sign with Jacksonville this week. But again, it can't be officially announced until the NFL season is open next Wednesday. But it looks like he's going to be heading south to a Jacksonville team where, as we all know, had a not a bad year, had an awful year considering that they were in the AFC Championship game just a year ago. So that would certainly be an upgrade for them with Blake Bortles being out the door as far as the quarterback situation is concerned. Uh, a lot of the talk here locally, Olivier Vernon is on the trading block. He is scheduled to make $31 million over the course of the next two years with 15.5 this year. So who knows with all the parameters of when a player needs to be cut as far as roster bonuses are concerned. Who knows what the time frame is for a deal to be consummated between Olivier Vernon and another team. The other big news coming out of the NFL was Jason Witten, his return or unretirement as I call it, going back to the Dallas Cowboys. Who knows if it was a thing with the ESPN Monday Night Football booth. I wasn't a big fan of Witten. I didn't really like Tessator either. I thought Tessator was a little bit over the top for me as far as the play-by-play is concerned. And Witten, although he did get better, but there was just something missing with Witten. And no offense to him or to his style of broadcasting, but it just didn't suit my liking. And now he goes back to the Cowboys. But, of course, there's a, there's a lot of thought, conspiracy theories, that between Romo and what he did the year prior and, of course, his two years in the booth and then Witten to follow up his good friend, the old QB tight end combo, as we all know, down in Dallas. And with the reviews for Witten not as favorable as they were for Romo, that was his way to get back into the league by just signing on for a one-year deal with the Cowboys. However you want to look at that, please. To me, that's neither here nor there. Despite the fact that I didn't have the pom-poms out for Jason Witten as a broadcast is concerned, but that's who, who cares about that. But my point is that, hey, he wanted to come back in the league. There were even rumors last year before they even got Amari Cooper. A lot of people thought that, hey, Dak Prescott needs his security blanket. Is there any way we can get Jason Witten back? Well, now with the Cooper in the mix and with what they did in the second half of the season, of course, making the postseason, winning a game in the wild card round, Maybe it was Witten saying that, hey, this is my time to maybe I could be that final piece of this offense to put us over the top and get us to a Super Bowl. So good for him. We all know he's a Hall of Fame player. That's a lock stock and in roller skates. He'll go into Canton. Is this going to hurt? Is like I say, uh, who, who knows? I mean, he's going to be a Hall of Famer no matter what. If he catches five passes this year, is it going to look bad on his resume? Of course, but you would think Witten will be fine. He'll come raring to go. Come training camp in July. And then the Antonio Brown sweepstakes. I feel like I'm talking about this week in and week out. It seems as if it's a never-ending story. He had that interview over the weekend with uh, that you've seen on ESPN with Jeff Darlington down in Liberty City talking about what happened there in those final few weeks of the team. The situation with Roethlisberger, I guess both of them had fallen out of favor despite what Roethlisberger said at the end of the season, saying that he wants him to come back, that he wouldn't be the quarterback that he is if it wasn't for him, etc. For Brown to call out Mike Tomlin, as far as said, saying that he was sore after that New Orleans game and he just sent them home, and that's what he did. He went home. He probably took that a little bit too literal on his part. 
Also, Brown saying that he not one to blame throughout the course of this process. Well, hey, listen, we all know there's two sides to every story, really three, from using that old adage, but there's two sides to every story. We haven't heard Roethlisberger's side. We haven't heard Mike Tomlin come out and say anything. You know, Tomlin's the type of guy that's going to be close to the vest. It's all going to be about what happens internally. All that stuff is taking place in-house. I'd be surprised if he comes out and says anything as far as against Antonio Brown. I'm sure he's going to wait for a deal to be made until it happens, which, you know, hey, if you want to kick him on his way out the door wherever he gets traded, where the rumors have it that he could be headed, I don't want to say could be headed, the three teams that were interested in were Oakland, Tennessee, and Washington. So not that there are any rumors of him going to those three places, but that's just the report that's been put out there where one of those three teams are interested in the services. If you're a Steeler fan, you're hoping Oakland because they have all those picks. They're not going to get Oakland's pick, as we all know. But, hey, even if they got Dallas's pick, where that would probably be somewhere in the 20s, that's fine. We'll take that. And if that's all there's going to be, because as Kevin Colbert said, right now they're probably looking at a one. They were looking at one and some more compensation, which would have meant more picks. But they look, they know the lay of the land here and everything that's happened with Antonio Brown over the course, not only just the last few months, but also the last few years, dating back to the playoff game with the whole Facebook Live in the locker room against Kansas City, etc. But now we have a situation here where Brown has come out and said what he said about the quarterback, about the coach, pretty much about not necessarily the team, but about his feelings, what goes on with this organization, especially its two most important pieces, the coach and the quarterback. Now it just remains to be seen whether or not the coach and quarterback come out and say anything in their defense. And listen, he made some valid points. I understand the one point that I found fascinating in that interview is where he came out and he said, well, hey, it's not as if Ben called me during the offseason to practice on the side or to start training you know, sooner. Yeah, everything starting from Latrobe, St. Vincent's College, that point on, all right, fine. But it's not as if in May, hey, come down to my ranch or come down to my estate and let's start slinging some footballs around and let's see if we can get some of the other young receivers involved. And I know he got bent out of shape about, oh, he's been to Ben's house once, he's been to mine once. Uh, listen, you know, not everybody's going to be hunky-dory and going out to dinner every five seconds. It's not going to happen. But I understand the whole practice standpoint when you watch stuff like Tom Brady's, what was it, Tom versus Time, when he's out in Montana for his birthday and he's throwing passes to Danny Amendola, Julian Edelman, etc. Would you like to see that a little bit more as far as the camaraderie between your quarterback and star wide receiver? I'd say yes. Why not? They haven't won a Super Bowl. They haven't done much together as far as the postseason is concerned. Hey, why not? We know what they could do during the regular season, but these reps are building up for hopefully a long postseason. And here it is, Brady and Edelman and Amendola, they're doing it, and they already have rings in their back pocket. So I could see where Brown is not happy with that. The other stuff, please, that's neither here nor there. I mean, just because I've been to this house once, he's going to get upset about that? I mean, got to back off that a little bit, I think. But that's just me. But the one thing, speaking of the GM, Kevin Colbert, his remarks last week about Ben can call anybody out. He's won the Super Bowls, whatever, and he's right on that. But he can't come out and say it's Ben and then 52 kids under him. I mean, 
we all understand he's the face of the franchise, but one guy isn't bigger than the rest of the team. And even Colbert came out and said, and, and this was him, I don't have the quote, so I'm paraphrasing, but he even said that if he wants, he could call me out on stuff. Oh, wait a second. You're the GM of this team. You're second in line in the organization. We all know the owners are first, but you're right after that. So you're above Tomlin and you're well above Ben Roethlisberger. So for you to come out to say that Ben could go to your office any day in time and demand or call you out on certain things, uh, who's boss here? And listen, I love the Steelers and I love Ben Roethlisberger. He's one of my all-time favorite Steelers. I mean, how could he not? But at the same time, he cannot put that much power into this quarterback, despite the fact he's been in three Super Bowls, one, two, we know, you know his whole resume, but still. Uh, who's running the ship here? Is Ben the GM? Is Ben a part-time GM? I, come on, Kevin Colbert. You know better than that. So, yeah, I, I found those comments by Kevin just absurd. I mean, how could anybody, any GM in this league, come out and say, well, hey, whatever he wants, or hey, he could call me out on anything. You think Bill Belichick would like if Tom Brady called Belichick out on something? We know Belichick, he's running the whole ship up there. You think Belichick would like that Brady's going to call him out? I don't think so. And we know Brady's resume. So that's all I need to hear about that. As we move along, we'll get to the basketball, and then I'll close out with the hockey real quick. The basketball, we know the Bucks are having a tremendous season. They look like they're going to be the one seed. I understand Toronto's going to have a say in that. And out West, Golden State, certainly even with a two-game lead over the Denver Nuggets, look like they're going to be in control here unless something happens over the course of the last six weeks of the season. But I hate to bring up these two teams because they're the two teams that are in peril for two totally different reasons. When you're looking at what's happening up in Boston with the Celtics, you know, losing five out of six coming out of the All-Star break. Kyrie with his short, terse, you know, terse answers. Jay Williams coming on today saying that there should be a divorcing process, that there's not a fit there. And I understand people are going to laugh at me when I say this, but this is the truth. When the Celtics made a trade for Kyrie, and they had to do it, look what they gave up to get Kyrie Irving. I mean, give me a break. Really what it boils down to is that they traded Colin Sexton for Kyrie Irving. Because we all know, Isaiah Thomas is no longer in Cleveland, as well as Jay Crowder, Ante Zizic. I don't even know if he's still in the league. I think he is, but you get my drift. All the guys that traded for him, and you had to trade him for Kyrie Irving, but even then, I wasn't a big fan of the trade because I wasn't a big Kyrie fan in a sense where it's all about his points, it's all about him getting a shot off, and I don't know if he's going to be this type of guy that's going to be that leader that the Celtic team needed to get to where they want to go. And as we've seen, whether it was last year in the postseason or even just yesterday's game, when he's sitting at the end of the third quarter into the fourth and the Celtics are making a furious comeback when they were down as much as 28 points to the Houston Rockets, and it kind of makes you think that, Kyrie, you need to look in the mirror and figure out that maybe I'm part of the problem. Considering that you went to LeBron James to get advice, knowing that you were that knucklehead kid at 22 years old, not listening to LeBron James, one of the best players on the planet and one of the best players ever, And then now, all you want to do is shrug your shoulders and try to undermine your team by making certain comments. And not only that, but in these press conferences, you're showing that you're disinterested. Even the game the other night when he's on the bench sitting there, 
looking like he just doesn't even want to be there anymore. Kind of makes you wonder if there was a trade in place or any rumblings about Danny uh, Danny Ainge making a trade for another player to get Kyrie Irving off the team before the trade deadline. And if you heard this podcast weeks ago, I was all for it when I had JD on. And as talented and as gifted as he is, and I, I listen, he's on the team. I want to root for him. You know, I love the Celtics, but you got to wonder. This, this is not the right fit. And you could just tell he just seems to be disinterested. He seems to be disconnected at times. The team doesn't seem to want to rally around them for whatever the reason. It almost feels as if when the second team comes on, they want to prove a point that, hey, we don't need this guy on the team. We showed you in the postseason last year, and we're showing you now that he's on the bench, that he's not that guy. And it almost kind of, to a certain degree, not fully, but to a certain degree, is almost reminiscent to when James Harden was going through those years in Houston a few years back, and I always reference that playoff game, that game six in L.A., when the Clippers would have gone to the Western Conference Finals with a victory there, and they were down by double digits. And who saved their bacon was Josh Smith and Corey Brewer with James Harden on the bench. Almost show and prove that, yeah, we don't need James Harden. We'll take care of this ourselves. That's what's, for me, is reminiscent of how this Celtic team is playing with a guy like Kyrie Irving on their squad. And time is running out. They can't flick on a switch. They have 18 games to go. They're in fifth place in the conference, two and a half games behind the Sixers as it is. And the Sixers, I got news for you. As much as we're in their heads and we've played well against them and 3-0 and and et cetera, but that could come to an end quick. And all it could take is just one bad game for it to just to go south. As it is, if the season ended today, they're going to go to Philadelphia for round one. So you can imagine game one, you know, a 111-87 type game and I can already see it. Everybody's going to be checked out and ready for the offseason. And this was a year that everybody thought that there were a guaranteed lock to make it to the NBA Finals. Considering LeBron was gone, Philly was still trusting the process. We didn't know about Milwaukee and Toronto, even with Kawhi and everything that transpired with him last year in San Antonio, how that transition was going to be. Well, guess what? Those teams, including Indiana, who lost their best player, the Celtics are looking up in the standings. And obviously, if they don't write in the ship, this season could be one of the most disastrous ones that they've had in recent memory for a team that was destined to go to the finals, and here they are, may not even make it out of the first round. And as far as the Lakers are concerned, <laughs> you think the Celtics have problems. The Lakers lose in Phoenix the other day, who are neck and neck with the Knicks for the worst record in the NBA. And there were reports about LeBron being the first guy on the bus after the game. Not want to deal with his teammates, the media. Four and a half games behind the eighth seed in the San Antonio Spurs in the Western Conference. And all that's happening there is will this team make the postseason? I don't know how many games they have left. They probably have any somewhere between 18 and 20, but they got to make a f- pretty much five games in, out of those 20, which is not going to be easy. And now you're going to wonder the status of Luke Walton. Is he a dead man walking out in L.A.? Who's going to be the replacement? You've already heard some rumblings. Maybe Tyron Lue's going to come back to L.A. Remember, he played for the Lakers in the early 2000s. So is it possible we're going to see a Tyron Lue siding to make this a Cleveland Cavs 2.0 situation? You know, the Lakers' high watermark this year, they were 18-11. and 
And on the night that LeBron was hurt on Christmas night in Golden State, they won that game convincingly. They were 20 and 14. Since then, I can actually do the math. Is it 29 and 33? So they got 20 games left. They are 9 and 19 since then. And they've just had bad games, poor performances, games in Memphis. They lose to New Orleans with Anthony Davis not even playing. Then you had this episode in Phoenix. This team is certainly looks like they're not going to make the postseason, barring a miracle run here. And in these final 20 games, they probably got to do something like 14 and 6 to maybe even cut close, not to even get into the top eight in the Western Conference. So those are going to be the those are the big two storylines, and I understand I didn't watch the whole thing with the shop with Antonio Dave, uh, Antonio Anthony Davis. I know he had made some comments, you know, him being the CEO of his own business, etc. As far as you know, his brand and what he wants to do in this league, and as we've said weeks ago before the All Star break, I mean, this is the direction the NBA is going. If a player gets drafted by that city. Six to seven years in, they just can't wait to get out of there to be part of that super team. And whether that means that he's going to end up in L.A. with the Lakers or even in Boston for that matter, which I'll say this right now, I am not trading Jason Tatum for Anthony Davis. And as great as he's been and first-team All-NBA, I get that, but uh uh-uh, I'm not doing it. We all know this league is a wing player league, and I get that you need rebounds, and the Celtics, they lack that, but still. Keep the young core. If anything, Irving's going to go. And we all know that he's not going to go to Boston if Irving's not going to resign there, which who knows if that's going to be the case right now considering all the cryptic messages that Kyrie Irving has put out over the last two to three weeks. So I'll keep Jason Tatum, have him go to L.A. or anywhere else for that matter. But those comments, they, they got to ruffle your feathers and have to ruffle the NBA's feathers too. I'm sorry. If you had him silver, you can't be happy about it that these players could dictate. And here he is. He's still, not this year, next year, away from free agency. And he's, uh-uh, I'm going to sit out. Or the team has to sit him out because they don't want him to get injured because, of course, he gets injured. His trade value is going to go down despite the fact that he's been All-NBA, what, five times and multiple All-Stars, etc. Which is a shame. But they have to do that to protect their investment because they know that they're going to receive a boatload of picks, players, for this guy in the offseason. But if he... Tears an Achilles or tears an ACL or comes up lame and forget it. It's over. They're going to get 50 cents on a dollar if that's the case. It's a shame, but sadly, that's the way the NBA is. Unlike baseball, you know, Bryce Harper could come out and talk all he wants and, ah, you know, after four years, it's time for me to move. I need to change the scenery, so on and so forth, even though I have a no trade, but I want to go to these teams. Just like Giancarlo dictated to go to the Yankees. He can, and he had a no trade. Thank good for him. But guess what? He signed a big contract. He was committed to play for the Marlins, and that was it. It's not as if, oh, well, I'm out of here in two years. Get me out of, you know, I need to go elsewhere. My brand, my this. Sadly, that's what the NBA generates, that type of attitude, those type of players. And I get people going to look at me and say, Jay Reels, well, you're not in their shoes. You don't know. But that's the way the system is, man. If you got to wait two years of free agency, what are you going to do? And we've seen this happen. Carmelo Anthony forcing his way out of Denver to play in New York. I mean, this is, it's not breaking news by any stretch. And I understand, I'm not in their shoes. And would I be the same way? Huh? But for every Carmelo Anthony, for every you know Anthony Davis, there was a Kevin Garnett who said, you know what, I'm riding this sucker out in Minnesota, even though 
I'm sure you put some truth serum in him. Yes, I want to win a championship. I want to go elsewhere. But uh uh-uh. He's like, I was drafted here. I signed here. I'm staying here. If they trade me, they trade me. So you have that rare unicorn of a guy like Kevin Garnett who certainly didn't look for the exits to say, "Uh uh-uh. Things aren't working out here. Get me out of here. I want to play for a contender. So, doesn't happen more often than not, but sadly, that's the direction of the way the league's going with some of their top players. So, Nick fans, if you do get Zion Williamson, guess what? <laughs> Come year three, year four, he may not sign that long-term deal because he wants out. And look at what Porzingis did, and he's coming off an ACL injury. I don't like the direction of the team. And look, and the guy hasn't even fulfilled his rookie contract. So, right there, that just goes to show you. And if you're Adam Silver, I don't care what he says, he cannot be happy about that. All right, and in college basketball real quick, Gonzaga's going to be number one still. Duke loses to Virginia Tech, so they're going to go down in the rankings. And Zion, although he's better, but he's not going to be rushed back, says Coach Krzyzewski, you would think that this coming weekend they had their rematch with North Carolina again, this time at North Carolina. Is he going to be ready for that game? Who knows? I'm sure he's just they're just going to probably wait it out to the tournament. They figure that, hey, we could give the ACC championship to North Carolina. Let them have that. We're going for the brass ring, the grand prize, and you would think that he'll be ready come tournament time. So that's pretty much all you got there. I understand you had the incident speaking of North Carolina with Roy Williams. The incident there on the sideline was on one knee. He's had bouts of vertigo in the past, which one of the color announcers had said, good point on him. I'm sure at first you're thinking, oh, geez, hopefully he didn't suffer anything worse than that, but that's what it was. He could have come back to finish the game, but didn't. And uh, you would think he'd be on the sidelines at some point uh, throughout this coming week. But uh, Kentucky loses to Tennessee, so you'll see them drop a little bit when the rankings are released sometime this afternoon. Uh, In fact, let me see if I can take a quick look as uh, anything latest is happening. No, not at all. So uh, there you have that as far as the college basketball is concerned. As again, we're going into the final week of the season, which conference championship. I know you have a lot of the mid-majors. Their championships will start this week. But the big conferences will go into next week. Obviously, ACC, Big East, SEC, etc. And then Selection Sunday is two weeks from yesterday. And then we'll close out. Oh, it's one one other thing. NBA note. uh, I have to... Give a shout-out and a hopefully a speedy recovery to Kenny Anderson. As we all know, the New York City point guard, G-A-W-D, who suffered a stroke this past week. They say he's doing fine. Reports have come out that uh, he's resting comfortably. Good for him. Uh, he was on episode 10. So if you haven't heard to that podcast, I interviewed him episode 10. It was a great interview. Definitely want to go back in the archives and check that out. So, again, my thoughts, prayers, blessings go out to Kenny Anderson and his family for a speedy recovery as he uh, is on the mend from a stroke he suffered, I believe it was Tuesday or Wednesday of last week. And speaking of which, just to throw some sad news, once again, for a longtime NHL player, Ted Lindsay, who passed away, he was a linemate of Gordie Howe, going way back into the uh, days of the NHL, back into the 50s. He died, I believe he was 93 years old. So, may he rest in peace, the old Detroit Red Wing. But as far as the NHL is concerned, especially here locally with the Islanders, what a week it was for them. They start a five-game homestand. Well, they lose to Calgary at home. Okay, fine. But then you had the return of John Tavares there on Thursday. Tavares, of course, 
drafted number one by the Islanders in 2009, was here 10 years, and then as much as he said that he wants to remain on one team for his whole career, stay on the island, wants to see this thing through, hopefully hoist that Stanley Cup over his head as the captain of the team, and we all know what happens comes July 1st as he signs with his childhood dream team of the Toronto Maple Leafs. So now he comes back to the Nassau Coliseum, which the Islanders will play the rest of their home games in, even into the first round of the postseason. And all that happens is, over the course of that evening, are chants that, of course, cannot be revisited here on the air. Although there were some creative ones. When Andrews Lee scores a goal, they're saying, you know, that's our captain. And, you know, what else did they say there? Uh, yeah, it was just ruthless. They were relentless. You know, we don't need you. You had a, just a bunch of creative chants. You know, the JT sucks chant, etc. But didn't score another point. Two games against the Islanders this year. Did not score a point. The Islanders went 6-1 flying high. But to me, and I had a feeling that they were geared up for the game. The crowd got them. I'm sure got all the players into it. Players, I, I would think none of them took the signing of Tavares personal, considering the former teammates. But with Washington coming into their building the day after and then playing Philadelphia yesterday, the Islanders laid two big eggs. And with the Capitals breathing right on their necks, just two points away from a first-place spot, there on Friday night, and they come out and win the game, and then they lose yesterday to the Flyers 4-1 to with the Capitals winning at the Garden in overtime. Now they're in first place. Certainly was a huge letdown for this team considering what happened there Thursday night. I mean, it was a playoff atmosphere. It was electric. Building was alive. They were pretty much 45 minutes from warm-ups all the way throughout the course of the game. Even the video tribute, they were booing that. So... As great as that night was for the Islander fan, for the team, etc., they came out with two duds at home, and they finished this five-game homestand against Ottawa tomorrow, and they have a home-and-home against Ottawa, which they must sweep. Ottawa's the worst team in the league. They traded all their players to the deadline, including Matt Duchesne, so they must sweep them. There's no ifs, ands, buts, maybes about it. But they have a very tough stretch here the rest of the season where they get to – they still have to play Montreal twice – the Blue Jackets twice. They have Toronto coming back on April Fool's Day of all days. They also go to Winnipeg, who leads their conference, or leads their division, out west. And then they close out with the Capitals on the road, the final game of the season. So the Islanders certainly have their work cut out for them. We understand that you know, you want to get that first place. You want to be able to have the first round come through your building, having home ice. You certainly don't want to have to go on the road. And right now, it's going to be a dogfight for them to not only stay atop of that Metropolitan Division, but also to just kind of tread water with a lot of teams trying to rise up there. And the Canadians, again, they're going to face them. They're the second wildcard team. So they got two games with them coming up. So those are going to, these are going to be some crucial games for this Islander team. And it starts tomorrow at the Coliseum with Ottawa. And again, a home-and-home, which they must sweep. Ottawa has 51 points, which I believe is last in the NHL. So no excuses there. They must come back from that. And hopefully they could, uh, they'll certainly be the panacea for the Islanders' ills here over the course of the last couple of days. And then finally, I got to close out with this. I know Sean Avery, I saw this on Twitter. He came out and blasted the Islander fans with a bunch of four little words and not a lot of nice things to say. And I get that he's a Ranger. A lot of people are going to remember him as a Ranger throughout his career. He was a Red Wing, he also played for the Kings and later on the Dallas Stars. But here's the guy that's Sean Avery. Let's face it. And I understand people could laugh at me and say, hey, you only have 80 Twitter followers or 
you know, who are you, Jay Reels, to come out and put this guy on blast, so on and so forth. But guess what? I don't need 120,000 or 80,000 or 20,000 followers to substantiate what I do as far as what I've seen over the years and watching hockey and watching what goes on or to have anybody say to me that this guy's a nobody because nobody follows him on social media. Well, guess what? Sean Avery, you have an open invite to come on this podcast face-to-face, man-to-man, to talk about these things. The last thing anybody wants to hear out of your mouth is what you have to say about the Islander fans. So keep the Islander fans out of your mouth, first and foremost, number one. Number two, you are the type of player, and this is the truth, and any hockey fight fan will follow me to the death on this. You are a guy that would turtle against the heavyweight guys. You wouldn't throw bombs against the heavyweight guys, but you would pick on the smaller guys. You would jump the bigger guys. And listen, I got, I get, I never played in the NHL. I never laced up skates in a professional environment. You played in the league 12 years. Props to you, man. No doubt. And I respect you for that. But there were things you did on the ice, especially when you proclaimed that you were this tough guy, that this heavyweight, and you were far from that. And even if you were a lightweight, you know, there were guys that you would jump. There were guys that you would certainly play dirty against. Like, you would not go toe-to-toe against George LaRock. And I want to hear, oh, that guy's 6'4", and I'm only 5'10". Well, Ty Domi was 5'10", and how did his NHL career turn out? The guy fought everybody. So, Sean Avery, to have you come out and curse the Islander fans, nobody wants to hear from you, okay? And listen, I got nothing personal against you, my man. But for a guy who, let's face it, waving his stick in front of Martin Brodeur in front of the crease to try to block his vision, Bush League, a lot of the stuff you did on the ice, Bush League, I get that you were a guy that wants to get under the skin of the other players, the opposition. I get that. You were trying to be Claude Lemieux. But let's, guess what? As bad as Claude Lemieux was over his career, Chris Draper, etc., but he would actually fight. He would throw blows. That's not to say you wouldn't, but if there was a guy that was a little bit bigger than you or even bigger than you, you would hold on for dear life in all your fights. And, of course, there was a guy that was matched up that you were matched up against that was about your height or smaller, then, yeah, you would either jump him or, yeah, you would pound him into the ice. But that doesn't impress me, my guy. So with that being said, he needs to just pipe down. Nobody needs to hear from him. And if this somehow, some way gets back to him, because I even tried to look for him on Twitter, and I'll go back and look for him on Twitter later if that's the case. But you have an open forum, open invite, anytime for you to come on here to state your claim. Not only just about the on the fans, but about your career. And man up, and I don't even talk about the off the ice stuff. All the other comments that you made about relationships, nah, to me, that's, who cares? I could care less about that. But for you to come out and say that, I understand it should be in one ear and out the other, but here comes from a guy that, please, would turtle or would just turn his back on somebody who was that much more tougher or know, or knew that would go toe-to-toe with him center ice, and he wouldn't want anything close or anything near getting involved with someone like that. All right, so I give you your props, your man. You know, by playing in the league all that time, whatever, so on and so forth. But we all know, and for the hockey fight fan out there who watches hockey fights and follow who's tough, who's who, and whatever, I'm sorry, my guy, you are not on the top of that list or anywhere near it, for that matter. So you have the floor, my man. Anytime you want to come on, feel free. I'd love to chat with you. Love to talk about it. The on the fans, your comments, your career, etc. So. And you know where to find me. Twitter, JReels1. JReels on Instagram, whatever it may be. Let's do this. I'm open to talk to you, my guy. Anyway, 
Is that a way to close out a show? I guess so. I didn't mean to close it out that way, but uh, nevertheless, always a good time here on the J Reels Podcast. Each and every week here on a Monday, March the 4th in the year of our Lord, 2019. Thank you very much for downloading and listening to the podcast as always. Forever indebted to you guys. But please, I implore you week in and week out, if you could just spread the word, social media, to those who love sports, like sports, follow sports, whatever it may be. Have them go to my website at jreels.com. Also, on all the podcast platforms, you know what they are, but just in case, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spreaker, Stitcher, Spotify, any one of those, please go on there, leave a rating, post a review. It's just going to increase the visibility of this podcast with all the other sports podcasts. And in fact, I actually got an, uh, which I'll talk about next week because I want to wrap up. I actually got an interesting email that I'm actually in the top 80 in a country overseas somewhere, but I'll get into that next week. But that's overseas. How about the U.S. people? Listen, get me in the top 100. I don't care whatever it is. If you like it, if you love it, whatever, I understand. I don't want the bad press, but if it's something that you don't like, what it is that I have to say about it, put it on there. Who knows? You know, sometimes bad press is good press. Not that I'm looking for it, but you get what I'm saying, people. So, again, leave a rating. Post a review. All that's going to do is just spike up the visibility of this program and at the same time garner some interest with possibly future guests. And um, forever indebted to you guys, as I said before, just for being able to listen to this podcast, listen to what it is that I have to say about what's happening in the world of sports. And, again, if you feel like you want to Reach out to me. Any questions, comments, criticism, praise, you go to any of my social media accounts. J Reels, send me a DM there on Instagram. J Reels one, just a number on Twitter. Facebook, J Reels Podcast, as well as my email address, the J Reels Podcast at gmail.com. As I talk to you about everything that's going on in the world of the diamond, ice, gridiron, hardwood, golf course, racetrack, tennis court, you name it, from my lips to your ears, from my heart to your soul, from where I am to wherever you are, the J Reels Podcast always comes correct, directed, and in full effect. From the South Bronx, the South Beast, the South Central, the South Pacific, and all points beyond. Peace, love, and God bless everybody. And until next time on the J-Rose Podcast, on the flip, baby. <laughs>